um, opened up before us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask for God's help as we together, you and I both, learn this morning from his word. Let's pray. Father, as those words still resonate in our minds, in our hearts, to glorify your name. May we be mindful of the fact that that's the reason that we're here, that's the reason that we exist. If we have given our life to you, that we must, in every area of our life, we must seek to, to magnify, to make the name of Jesus big. Father, we thank you so much that we have so many things to be grateful for in your grace and your mercy and your love. We, we just thank you for the freedom that we have to come and to worship like this. We thank you, Lord, for every single person that's here, each home that is represented. And God, I would ask that in a very unique way, um, you would do a work amongst us, that we would hear from you. God, that you would carefully guard my lips and mouth from saying anything that would not bring glory to the name of Jesus. Father, I, I just pray for our community that is in darkness. Um, I pray, Lord, for many, many people, ones that we work with, ones that we live alongside, um, Lord, that, that are lost, that don't know the truth of the gospel. God, allow us to be a church that understands that the way that we glorify you is by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as, as we invite the Holy Spirit to come now and, and move amongst us to, to open our hearts, may we, Lord, be ready to surrender and to submit, not some of our, of our life, but all of our life. Father, that we would, in a sense, be challenged, that we would have a lot of our own sinfulness just continually chiseled away, that you would create in us and make in us something, Lord, that is beautiful for you. That is our prayer. Father, open eyes and ears. Um, free us, Lord, from distractions. Um, free us, Lord, from worries or concerns about tomorrow. Lord, you, you hold tomorrow in your hands. And so right now, for these next few moments, may we just pause and may we just understand responsibility and the weight um, that takes place when your word is taught. Father, we ask these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. And amen. Um, you, you may have caught this uh, just yesterday. Um, our local newspaper here in Lock Haven on the front page. Sadly, this is a description of our home, our home. It's, it's under the title heroin hits home and it speaks about the incredible numbers, the spike in, in local heroin abuse that is evident everywhere that we look um, in our community and we know that with that lifestyle comes destruction and incarceration and comes addiction. And I know initially as we read that we are struck with the responsibility that we have, you and I have to speak into the home that God has called us to live. This is our community. Um, gang, I want to remind you that you hold in your laps this morning the solution to that problem. 
I'm not saying it in a, in a, in a, in a light way at all, that the way that, that addiction, the way that destruction um, is healed is through the good news, only through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message that literally transforms lives, that frees people. We have been learning about that. We've been learning about how the gospel frees us. Um, the whole entire theme of the book of Galatians is, is the fact that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Today we're going to look at a text. We're going to look at a subject that the world has very little knowledge and awareness when it comes to the truth of love. That's what I want to talk about today. I remind you, I want to speak on the subject and the power of love. I don't want to be sacrilegious in, in any way, but I think about the power of love, and, and I have to be honest, it takes me back a few years, um, 1985 to be exact. I don't know if you've ever ever heard of a group before, certainly not endorsing, but this is the culture and the world that we live in, Huey Lewis in the News, um, and, and they sang this song, The Power of Love. It actually became the, the soundtrack for that oh so uh, great movie, uh, Back to the Future. Um, it goes like this. The power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, make another man sing. Change a hawk to a little white dove. More than a feeling, that's the power of love. I can read the lyrics to you, but it just it doesn't quite seem to cut it. And so I asked, we'll see how this works. Okay, see if this takes you back. Some of you know the years that I'm talking about. Others of you, even if you're young, you'll you'll know this from the soundtrack of a movie that we we kind of heard. Can't you see Michael J. Fox on the uh, skateboard right now, <laughs> being drugged behind the the vehicle? You know, we we hear about this idea. A lot of lot of songs today. A lot of books and poems and movies and stories. Have this word, it's, it's about love. Let me tell you, the subject that we want to look at today, okay, is nothing like the world's understanding. It's not that silly, shallow love. It's, it's nothing like that. What we look today at a subject that really brings us full circle to what the true meaning of this word is. And that in all honesty, it's something that the Holy Spirit can give to us. And we just cannot be motivated to accomplish in and of our own strength. We review a little bit of where we have gone with the Galatians, and we know that this is a, a, a group of churches, in a particular region of Galatia, that really thought that they had the answer to religious freedom and to religious success and spirituality. They thought that you had to adhere, what, to Old Testament law. By the adhering of more laws, the aligning of more legislation, that they would somehow become spiritually mature and successful. That's not true. The entire theme of the book of Galatians is that Paul comes directly at them and he says there is no amount of legislation or laws or being obedient to laws that can change man's basic, sinful, sin-filled nature. Instead, what Paul wrote is something so dramatically different. It just, it just rattled them to the very core of their being. Paul says it's not law, it's not you and I being obedient to rules and regulations on the outside. It is what? It is putting our faith and our trust in, 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 in the grace that is extended to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and what was accomplished on the cross. And that, that, that 
is evidenced or it is manifested, that belief, living by grace through faith, is actually made known to everyone out there by this subject that we look at this morning. When we have faith inside, we live by grace through faith, it's actually made known to others through this characteristic of true love. Love. It's different than the world's understanding. Look for this word as it surfaces a couple times in our text. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. I want you to look for this word that we're talking about this morning. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but this word appears twice in our text. Now, in order to have the ability to be obedient to Scripture so that we learn to, what, through love, serve one another, so that we learn to love our neighbor, I don't know about you, but but we need help in order to do that. We simply do not have the strength, the ability in of and of ourselves to love people that, in all honesty, a lot of us don't even like to be around. And yet God calls us to love them. Well, that, that, that equipping, that empowering comes through not ourselves, okay, but clearly through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have the time to look at it, but throughout the book of Galatians, there are more than 14 references. We're going to look specifically in a little mini-series within a series in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruits of the Spirit. Fourteen different times it talks about how we're able to accomplish this thing. It's through the Spirit of God. But please understand, it's not only the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum by itself. The Holy Spirit works through what? This Word right here. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works through what? Through our being together in worship. Lifting up our voices and singing praise to the Lord. Holy Spirit uses that time to speak to us, to equip us, to empower us. The Holy Spirit uses what? The fellowship of believers, one another, to come together, to encourage one another, to uplift one another. We cannot do it alone, go it alone. We need one another in order to accomplish what God has called for us to accomplish. Understand this, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, everything that is necessary in order for you to learn how to love your neighbor has been accomplished. What I love is that we see the three part of God. The plan of God the Father, the purchasing of our sins by God the Son, and the personal work of God the Holy Spirit that enables us to fulfill the love that we have. We are free in God's grace so that it's manifested and made known by our love for one another. We enjoy grace, however, we struggle as humans, fallen people in a fallen world, 
of being what I call creatures of extreme. You know what I mean by that term? I think of I think of grilling. I don't know why. Just it's the weird mind of I've, I've got. I think of barbecue season, and I get on as my kids refer to it as a curry kick. I love I love curry. Anything you can put it on pork, you can put it on beef, you can put it on chicken, and and I've always I, this if curry little curry makes this pork chop taste good. Then, then more curry is going to make it taste great. Well, my kids can attest. Wendy can attest. Okay, I have ruined many a grilling experiences because of my curry kick. We enjoy grace, and yet what happens is creatures of extreme. We take grace, as Swindoll would say, what to 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 a heretical extreme. And we live so much in grace that we say, well, it's given me a license or liberty or freedom to live however I want to live. Sadly, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that really believe that. Because they walked up an aisle somewhere, they shed a tear, or they said a few words in, in order, they prayed a prayer, that they think, what, now they have this fire insurance, they are inoculated from hell, and so they can live However they want to live. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. Let me, let me help describe it like this. Let me give to you two extremes. I thought about it and, and I, I'll call them guy number one and guy number two. We'll call guy number one Joe. If your name is Joe, I'm not speaking about you. Okay, Joe and Jim. We're going to talk about Joe and Jim for a minute. Joe is guy number one. Jim is guy number two. Got it so far? We got it. Here's Joe. Joe's a Christian, or he calls himself a Christian. A lot of people say, yep, that's me. I'm a Christian. What exactly does that mean? Joe enjoys watching football. His life is about football. He loves everything. Having a beer with his buddies, watching the game, no big deal. Joe shows up to church every once in a while he sings really, really loud when the offering plate comes by. Once in a while, he drops a 20 into it. And basically, that's the extent of his walk with the Lord. He knows that he should be more committed. He knows that he should be more dedicated with his life. But he understands grace. I've said a prayer. I've accepted Jesus and so what? God is willing to accept me and forgive me just like he's willing to forgive and accept everyone. Guy number one, we'll call him Joe. On the opposite extreme, there's another guy who calls himself a Christian. We'll say that his name is, is Jim and he takes the law. He lives by the letter of the law and he imposes that on every single person that he meets. Jim comes to church every week. He would never dare miss a week at church. He goes to Sunday school. He goes to home group. He goes to men's prayer time, wakes up early. Jim is rather perturbed, as a matter of fact, with people like Joe who only show up to church once in a while. When Jim comes to church, he makes sure to sit up front so the pastor sees him every single day. 
Jim is, is sure to greet every single person in the entire church and very, very quick to remind everyone about Joe's shortcomings and how we need to pray for Joe because he's not quite there yet. Guy number one is Joe. Guy number two is Jim. And we say, where do we fall in this? Is, is this what Scripture is teaching us to do? Or is this what Scripture is teaching us to be? Let, let, me, let me make it very, very clear. I want you to hear this. Neither of those guys, neither one of those guys are what the Apostle Paul desires for the church in Galatia as he writes this letter for them to be. Both of them falling desperately short. Neither of those guys, okay, guy number one, guy number neither of them are what God has intended for you and I. As a local church, a Big Woods Bible Church right here in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, neither one of those are what God desires for us to be. So what is it? Somewhere in between these two extremes, somewhere between what license on the one hand, Joe, and, and legalism on the other hand, Jim, somewhere in between that, that is true freedom. People that are actually more concerned about God and what God thinks than about what we think. People who are more concerned about others than opposed to ourselves. Paul begins to kind of unpackage this by explaining what he says you have been called. I don't know, but there's something just so beautiful about that. You have been called to freedom. It speaks of God's choosing us. There's a lot of people and God looks down and he says, I choose you. It speaks about God setting us apart. We have been called to freedom. Well, what does that mean? Well, you need to understand the truth that if a person is recognized, truly recognized the fact that we are sinners. That in and of our own flesh, my flesh, okay, we are enemies of a holy God. When we truly recognize that, when we understand and we see the, 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 the desperate wickedness in our own heart, and we literally, literally just confess that, pour that out before God's. When we come to a place of surrendering every wish, every want, every desire, and we literally submit our whole life, God, I'm yours. And we put our faith, we put our life, we put our trust in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. Then that person and that person alone is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That person alone is a true Christian. That person alone is truly free. Well, free from what? Free from the guilt of sin. We don't have to be worried because we know that God loves us unconditionally. Free from the penalty of sin because we know that God took our place and died in our place. We are free from the power of sin. We don't have to live chained as, as addicts any longer because the Holy Spirit gives us strength and power and victory over sin in our lives. Turn with me just a couple pages. It's the next book. Paul is still the author, but he writes to another church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. I I love these verses. It's so descriptive of what we need to be reminded of every single day. 
Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But that is so descriptive of the community and of the town that we live in. When we say that we are surrounded by people that literally are dead to the course of what? Following the course and the sinfulness of their own heart in the course of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, But God, some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What an amazing truth. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is a gift of God. Do, do, do you see what surrounds? Do you see the depth behind? We have been called to freedom. Paul actually now gives a caution. We've been called to enjoy liberty. We've been called to enjoy the grace that is given. But then he gives a very clear warning and a caution to us. You're called to freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't think that because you've been forgiven of your sins, now you just do whatever you want to do. That's not how it works. Not what we see in Scripture. What does Paul mean by this? Do not allow your freedom... Do not allow your liberty to to degenerate, to disintegrate into license to do whatever you want. Let me tell you this. When you understand the truth and the power of salvation, you do not have the liberty to live your life however you want. Do you hear what I just said? When you surrender your life to the Lord, you do not have the liberty... To live your life however you want. Why? First Corinthians chapter 6 says, says it very clearly. You are not your own. Three and a half, four years ago, that verse literally rocked me. I'd been preaching for 15 years. And I came to this awareness and this understanding. I'm not even my own. It says that you have been bought with a price. Something died for you. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. you understand that we are free to be a slave to God? We offer our life, and we enjoy the freedom and grace of forgiveness from our sins, but now we are what? We are obligated to live as He desires for us to live, not as we desire to live. There's no room for the thinking that on the other extreme that says if you do away with rules and regulations, you'll create chaos. The Apostle Paul's theme is very clear here. It's it's, it's very, very evident of the message that he's trying to, to communicate to us, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning. Paul wants us to avoid the danger of extremes. 
We are creatures of extreme. We swing the pendulum once. Do whatever you want because you're safe. No. We swing it the opposite way that says you must, you must do this and everyone else must behave exactly like that. It's not what it says in Scripture. This danger is real. Not because grace fails, but because men fail in the grace of God. A little tiny book. It's one chapter long, the book of Jude. We don't... We don't read much from the book of Jude. Only one chapter, but it says this in verse 4. Listen very carefully. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. This is talking about the church. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. It describes ungodly people. Certain ones creep in, they are ungodly, and it says they pervert the grace of our God in the sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Realize what's being spoken here. License to do whatever you want to do. Okay, that's wrong thinking. That's bad theology. That's bad doctrine. It's untruth. Legalism that forces what? Your own doing on others in order to be righteous. That's wrong. That's bad theology. That's bad doctrine, bad teaching. Paul's concern is a valid one. Christian liberty is not a license to sin, but an opportunity to serve, which leads us to this word that we're talking about. This is how it's made known. This is how it's manifested. It brings us to this commandment, through love, serve one another. Oh, it's the key theme. It's the key key word. It's the key ingredient. Paul wants to emphasize this so much so he actually repeats it, not just in verse 13, but in verse 14. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me make very clear. Let me make very, very clear. This is, this is not just loving people by hanging around those that you like to hang around. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. This is loving people who you don't even like. That's what it's talking about here. We see this, we see this all the way through Paul's teaching. Romans chapter 13 says, what, oh, no man anything but to love one another. That's, that's our first response. First Corinthians chapter 13, the entire chapter, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is not what? Boasting and puffed up. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What, what, what does this mean? How does this look like? How does this make us behave in our world today? I tell you what, you are not going to, to speak ill of a person. You're not going to cut a person and criticize a person if you truly love them. You're not going to steal and rob from a person. You're not going to cheat from a person if you are called to love them. You're not going to hear of someone else's success and be jealous of that person if you truly love them. You're not going to covet what what God has blessed another person with. You're not going to want what they have because you love them. Rather, you'll be patient with them and kind with them. You offer everything that you have for them. What does it mean? It means that you want to treat that person the way that you desire that they treat you. 
Therefore, love is this key ingredient, the main proponent, the number one piece of instruction for balancing the extreme between law and license. Hear me on this. You can write this down. Remember this. If you remember nothing else today, you go out with this phrase. Love is the indicator of whether the Holy Spirit is at work in your life or not. Do you hear that? Love is the indicator. True love shows everyone. Love is the indicator of whether or not the Holy Spirit is truly at work in your life. Apparently, the Galatians had a huge problem with this. This is, this, is, uh, this is a group of believers in a particular region, and they had a massive problem, and the problem was a lack of love for one another. Matter of fact, it's even descriptive of how there was a lack of love or what it looks like to have a lack of love. Look at this. This is just a, this is just a gross phrase. It says that they bite and they devour one another. I don't believe that this is literal in the sense that they're chewing and gnawing on one another's arms. I believe that they're biting and devouring by cutting and criticizing, by attacking, by maligning one another. Think of it. They call themselves a church. The, the, the church was filled with literally, literally filled with people who seek to destroy one another. The, the phrase that's given by way of Greek, the translation, is the picture, the image of animals that are literally tearing apart and attacking one another. I go all the way back to what? Dominating to Lauren Green's New Wilderness. Remember that? Oh, it was just horrible. whole pack of wolves, precious little deer there, and you're shredding it to pieces. When our kids were young, it was... It was Kratz creatures. Now it's, it's animal planet, crocodile hunter, river monsters. Things are just coming right out of the river. I don't know what it is. And they're just shredding other things to pieces. That's the image of what it looks like. You talk to people in our community, do you realize one of the things that they will say of why they don't want to be here? Literally? Because if the church can't get along with one another... Why would I want to be there? The reputation of believers in communities is that we don't even get along. Why would the world want to have anything to do with that? Realize the number one reason that missionaries come home from the field are other missionaries. Is that just tragic? Wait a minute, we're called by God to go to a faraway land to share the good news of the gospel and it's because of the attacks that they get from without... No, no. The number one reason people come home from the mission field is because they can't get along with one another. Oh, what a, what a horrible testimony of the local church. That's what Paul is describing what took place in Galatia. I mean, to tell you this, unless the Spirit of God fills our hearts, controls our actions and our words and our speech with His love, unless that happens, things like a competitiveness, a selfishness, a fighting and a bickering will rule. We can't let that happen. In the church of Galatia, both extremes, both the legalists and the libertines were actually destroying 
the fellowship and thwarting the work of the gospel. People, we need to make sure we understand what Scripture is teaching us. We need to understand the responsibility that's placed on our hearts to love those people that are caught in addictions, that are caught in lifestyles that we don't appreciate. You know, it's been an amazing process. Um, just my own personal journey the last several weeks. Um, Seth has been called to go to a faraway land. In all honesty, God has been placing this people group on his heart. And, And in my own heart, that people group, not an easy group to love at all. Matter of fact, in in my own heart, I would say someone else's son can go there, but not mine. Is Is that just so wrong? God's word says that we are to love our enemies. That's what it calls us to do. Do, do, do you realize, I remember when Seth came to me and, and I'm like, okay, uh, there's got to be a problem here. There's a lot of other people groups out there that you can go. I think you need to go someplace else. God didn't allow that. I remember examining very carefully with a fine-tooth comb the, the doctrinal statement, the philosophy of education of that organization, thinking I, got, I, got, I can find something here that we're not going to align with. And then you won't be able to go. And, and there was nothing there. Because the message was what? The gospel transforms lives. That's what we need to be doing. So as we we are called to love, please understand, I'm not calling you to do something that that I myself am not processing and working through and understand that you at this very moment have people in your life, in your heart, that you would say, I can't stand my neighbor. That's the one that God has called you. In evidence... That the Holy Spirit is at work in your life in evidence that we avoid the extremes. When we think about what Christ has done for us, we in our sinfulness, in our selfishness, were enemies of God. His holiness, our unholiness. His righteousness, our unrighteousness. Enemies of God. And yet it says what? God so loved that he gave his only son. We have the privilege this morning of remembering and celebrating the communion table. We have this this image that is given, this, this object lesson. Christ sitting with the disciples and he didn't have a beautiful, fresh biscuit bun bread that we have. It was... It was flattened. It was unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of sin. And when Christ says that my, my, this, is, this bread is a picture of my body, it's, it's a picture of the fact that his body had absolutely no sin ever his entire life. Not one thing did he do wrong. And he sat before the disciples and he broke the bread in front of them and he gave this visual object lesson. He says, my body's going to be broken for you. Oh, we have such limits. We live in such a small world of what it means to sacrifice. And we need to be reminded of what God did to sacrifice for us. 
after he took the bread, it says that he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. As he poured it out in front of the disciples, he literally says, this cup is a picture of my blood that is going to be poured out for you. I'm going to suffer on your behalf so that you and I can have forgiveness from sin, that you and I can have eternal life. Oh, what a gift. We're told in Scripture to regularly remember the communion table, remember the elements that God has given to us of the bread and the cup, but until He comes again. And so we're pausing to do that. And so it is my privilege to offer this to you this morning. If you have surrendered your life, and you do understand what that means, doesn't, it means you, you don't keep bits and pieces for yourself. If you have recognized the fact that you're a sinner and you've confessed that sin and you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, then I invite you to partake and participate with this. The elders are going to come around and, and give this to you. And we celebrate this. But I want to make very clear, and I please don't, I don't want to be rude, I want to be honest. If you have not made that decision, which means that you're living your life today and you're the, you're, you're the one in charge, you, you're, you're the Lord, you're the most important, please refrain from this. Please, it would be meaningless to you. However, I do want to challenge you, I do want to encourage you, I believe salvation begins with a decision. I believe that salvation begins with God having called us unto himself and we are making the decision to respond to his calling and we offer our life and you can do that right here, right now. I would encourage you to do that so that we can remember what Christ has done for us. It's a picture of his love for us and it's a reminder of the love that we are to have for one another. Elders, if you could come and assist me as we serve this to our brothers and sisters.